Welcome to the Recovery Project podcast. The Recovery Project is an international coalition of think tanks and research institutes focused on marshalling resources to look ahead from the COVID-19 pandemic and consider how we can leverage a period of recovery to build stronger economies, institutions, and better policy. My name is Sarah Minnis, and I am a postdoctoral fellow at the Conservation of Change Lab in the Department of Geography, Environment, and Geomatics at the University of Guelph. I am also the president of the Canadian Rural Revitalization Foundation, a charitable foundation dedicated to contributing to the revitalization and sustainability of rural Canada. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, Marianne Monsa. Canada's Minister of Rural Economic Development and Women and Gender Equality for a conversation on the economic and social impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on Canadian rural communities, what resources are available to support these communities, and what the recovery phase might look like. Thank you, Minister Monsa, for joining us today. Much of the attention during this crisis has been on urban Canada, which has left rural Canadians feeling like their unique experiences will not be seen, heard, and represented in relief and recovery initiatives. How is rural Canada being affected by COVID-19? And on the other side of that, what type of supports is the government of Canada offering to rural Canadians? Sarah, thanks to you and (laughs) to Canada 2020 for bringing us together. I've been listening to these podcasts and and I take a lot from them and I appreciate the thoughtful uh, catalysts that have made this conversation possible. I live in a mixed rural urban riding and uh, I don't for a moment uh, fault uh, Canadians, particularly those living in rural or remote or northern regions for feeling that way. Um, absolutely, this, this the pandemic has affected everybody. Everybody's hurting somehow. Everybody's lost something or someone, and different regions are affected differently. But if you're living in rural Canada, away from those essential services, without the same public transportation systems, without access to high-speed, uh, dependable internet, it's only natural that that feeling of, of feeling like you're left out is is there. And, you know, before I, I, I took on the role of an MP, I spoke with a few who've done this, former parliamentarians, and, you know, one of them said to me, if you're going to be representing rural Canada, remember that you're always going to have to speak louder that you're always going to have to show up that much more prepared and that much more strategic with what you're advocating for because there just isn't as many of you in Parliament, regardless of party stripes. There just isn't that many of you because of the way the system's set up. So you're going to have to, you know, wage your battles thoughtfully. Uh, and, and that lesson has served me well. To rural Canadians, I want to I wanna let you know that every single day, we think about you. Every single day, we're taking into account the strengths that you have and the vulnerabilities that have emerged, particularly since the pandemic, and that we are applying a rural lens to what we're doing and that we are depending on resilient rural communities to move Canada into recovery, but that I understand where you're coming from and so does our government and, and, you know, 
we will all uh, have to work together because if rural Canada doesn't succeed, the foundation of our economy doesn't succeed, then all of Canada is in trouble. You mentioned, you know, COVID-19 has shed light on various vulnerabilities for everyone. And certainly this pandemic is affecting everyone. Um, But it has been affecting women more than it has been men on the economic front. Uh, In fact, you might hear a four-year-old pop up during the conversation uh, in relation to that. Uh, They are calling uh, it the she-session. So what sort of economic impact does accessible and affordable childcare have for women and for rural Canada? And what resources are being put into place for women in rural Canada in regards to childcare? Uh, Sarah, women have been hit hardest by COVID. Uh, They were the first to lose the majority of the jobs in March. It was 62% women. Women are on the front lines of caring for so many of us, whether it's in long-term care homes, in early learning and child care, at home with little people running (laughs) around or teenagers kind of doing their thing. With the schools being closed, those additional care responsibilities are shouldered by women and looking after their elders too often falls on them. So they're taking on more of that. The rates of gender-based violence were high in Canada pre-COVID, but the isolation measures uh, have added a greater vulnerability to those homes that were already susceptible to violence. And so women are bearing the brunt of that. And, you know, the majority of those in long-term care homes are women. And so women have been hit hardest by COVID. You called it a she session. They're in industries like tourism, uh, you know, like hospitality, in in service industries, social services included, uh, that we depend on as core to our quality of life and economy, often underpaid, often racialized. And uh, the road to recovery has to include that lens. Uh, The road to recovery has to include a focus on care economy paid and unpaid care work and investing in social infrastructure like childcare, like housing, like investing in gender-based violence supports and and the charitable sector even. Childcare is interestingly enough uh, now uh, emerging more and more as what advocates and activists have always understood as an economic imperative. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we will lose the hard-won gains we've made in women's labor force attachment if those childcare spaces are not available or affordable or safe for their kids. Uh, and we can't afford that in an economy that already had a labor shortage challenge pre-COVID. I was reading on what happened in the 2008 recession just as a way to to learn (laughs) from the past. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I learned was that women in rural Canada were the last to recover, if at all, from COVID, including those who have children. So we are mindful of that. And we've been working, as you know, the Prime Minister and Deputy Prime Minister Freeland have been working with provinces and territories. There's $14 billion on the table as part of a safe start, and that includes childcare. We have to prevent uh, losing the 40-plus thousand spaces we created in the past four years, and we also have to make the system whole again if our economy is going to have any chance of uh, recovery in the post-COVID world. Yes, absolutely. So um, are there going to be any specific programs for you know getting children 
uh, back in childcare settings. I know a lot of uh, places across Canada, they, they can open right now, but aren't for many reasons recognizing that this is an area where the provinces, uh, you know, play the bigger role. This is ju- mm. their jurisdiction. But, you know, we we ran an election on a promise uh, to further support before and after school programs, hundreds of thousands of new spaces, and mm. on a promise that we would set up an early learning and child care secretariat to build on the foundation that we had already built to move us toward a more national standard of supports and uh, care for for kids uh, and for youth. We are in the process of, of uh, doing that work. Uh, actually, Minister Hussein, uh, my wonderful colleague, Minister Hussein, is a lead on this. We're working with stakeholders. Hundreds of conversations have already happened, and we're getting close to, uh, you know, setting up the secretariat. But as I said uh, earlier, the safe start agreements that we are working to negotiate with provinces and territories includes uh, significant investments in child care that are needed right now so that these businesses don't, their businesses, so that they don't close their doors, so that they can, you know, deal with the need for PPEs and the changes in ratio of caregiver to kids and, and enable them to put in the proper physical distancing measures. But this, this work, the federal governments were in, we get it, it's an economic <laughs> imperative, but we also respect the jurisdiction of our, of our provincial and territorial colleagues in this, and, and we're hopeful that we'll get to a good agreement because every day that we lose without that support for safe restart in place for early learning and childcare is a day that we lose more women from the labor force, is a day that we lose a space because the provider couldn't keep her doors open. Uh, and frankly, the investments in early learning and childcare, they're a means to an end, you know, enabling uh, women and parents to go back to work. But given that it's 97% women in this sector, there is also the understanding that doing better for the sector is an end in itself too. Yes, absolutely. And it's good to hear all the good work on this, especially as, you know, maybe a woman that's still been in the workplace or in the workforce, but is very, very tired <laughs> from going from working to childcare. So it's uh, good to know. So when many urban Canadians think of rural Canada, they think of farming and mining and more stable-based economies. Can you tell us about the key issues for rural economic development before the outbreak of the pandemic? And have those key issues now changed or become irrelevant um, with the outbreak of the pandemic? So kind of that pre-COVID worries versus uh, current COVID worries and uh, how's that shaking out? I'll answer your question, Sarah, but let me tell you why rural Canada matters to me. Mm. Um, as you know, uh, my family's from Afghanistan, and mm. as you well know, I, you know, close to half a century of war continues to hold back the people in Afghanistan and and add greater vulnerability and instability to the region. When I was little, I would ask my grandpa, you know, what happened? Help me make sense of what's going on. Why do we keep going back and forth between borders? And 
what happened with Afghanistan, there was a period where women like my mother, girls like my mother, were being encouraged to study. My mom was on track to becoming the first doctor, woman doctor in the family. So there was a lot of progress happening. There were a lot of supports provided. But those supports and that progress was focused on those in the urban parts of the country. Rural Afghans were left out, they were left behind, and that created a divide that only became greater with time. It added resentment between neighbors and families and country, uh, men and women. And when that divide grew strong and deep enough, it was really easily exploited by outsiders. And then the whole thing fell apart. The whole country fell apart because the the equality and access and opportunity just wasn't there. And, and look at that beautiful country now. Look at how it's been harmed and think about the generations it's going to take for it to recover. Canadians, Canada cannot afford for that kind of a divide to happen. And nor nor should it. We're a wealthy country and we have a lot going for us. And, you know, if, God forbid, we get to that place where the divide becomes deep enough, then it's going to take even longer for it to be repaired just because of how big we are. Pre-COVID, uh, my, my predecessor, Minister Jordan, had developed Canada's first rural economic development strategy. We announced it in June of 2019, just before the election. Pre-COVID, she had also worked with stakeholders and came up with Canada's first connectivity strategy. And funds were set aside and it was being rolled out. And consistently, rural Canadians said the same things, right? Access to high-speed internet is a challenge. <laughs> Access to housing and those services, social infrastructure like childcare is a challenge. Being able to attract and retain youth and labor and, and uh, you know, transportation uh, came up as, as a challenge. Uh, and we were working to address that. We, we introduced a rural lens, which we're applying to COVID response right now. It's proven to be really helpful. We set aside funding to connect Canadians to high-speed internet. There's There are a million households in Canada right now who are either already connected to high-speed internet or well underway to get connected because of what we had put in place in our first mandate. What COVID has done is further exacerbate those vulnerabilities and those uh, deficiencies. And what it's done for us in the government of Canada, and I think at every order of government, it's added greater urgency to this work. So we were ready to roll out the next phase of our broadband investments. For example, just a couple of days actually before COVID, I was sitting there with my officials getting briefed on, okay, we've got a great product, we're ready to go, and then COVID hit. So mm. now now we're adding a COVID lens to everything we're doing. And the prime minister and I were speaking the other day, and you know he is firmly committed to ensuring that rural Canadians where there's vulnerability, we are able to move towards resilience uh, because the rest of the country's prosperity and quality of life depends on rural Canada's success. And I'll say this to Sarah, I know it's been a bit of a long-winded answer, but <laughs> I just need to say, say that when I think of rural Canada, I think about innovation. 
I mm. think about neighbors looking after neighbors. I think about people coming up with really creative solutions to some big challenges. And I think about people who are feeding the rest of the country. I think about people in the beautiful parts of the country sharing it with the rest of the, rest of the world. Um, but I don't for a moment come to the work uh, or, or to the perception that, uh, you know, I, I take into account the strengths of rural Canada. That's what I love about it. And that's what is going to help our plan succeed is building on those strengths. Yes, and certainly um, access to reliable and uh, fast internet is a big part of that. The OECD just released a report on policy implications of the coronavirus crisis for rural development. And so many of the recommendations to address challenges as well as capitalize on opportunities for rural involve access to reliable high-speed internet. Um, I know certainly with the colleagues that I work with that uh, we were happy to see that the Canadian Radio, Television, and Telecommunications Commission has declared broadband internet as a basic telecommunications service. Uh, and we are pushing for them to further declare it as an essential service and implement universal access. But of course, there's many challenges to that. <laughs> um, so... Moving back to some specific um, concerns, uh, is there any support specifically um, for, in terms of when we go back to school, for students who may not have access to reliable uh, internet? If my 11-year-old niece, Layla, <laughs> is listening to this, she'll be keen to know when back to school is. And, and I don't blame her. I think, I think parents need respite. Uh, if, if I've heard anything over the past three months is parents are exhausted. And, you know, especially the ones teleworking, both if there's two parents in the household, if they're both working, if it's single parent, uh, you know, to, to work, to deal with telework, to, to also, you know, pay attention to your kids and help them with schoolwork, you know, in the best of times, these are difficult things to do. But without high-speed internet, this becomes particularly challenging. Uh, I know that some of our provincial partners are working on that. Some are providing devices to kids whose families may not be able to afford the, the extra hardware uh, to be able to do that. We're also thinking about that. We're thinking about ensuring that Canadians have access to quality and affordable high-speed internet. And we also have programs in place uh, to help with the affordability challenges that come. So one example is our Computers for Schools program, mm. uh, which is a way of getting devices to those who need it most. But there's also a, a technical learning piece attached to it. Another program we have is uh, working with the bigger telcos, uh, coming up with an internet package that provides families who need that support, who, who are getting the Canada Child Benefit with internet that costs $10 a month. Uh, so those are the kinds of programs that we already have at our disposal and uh, I know Minister Baines is working on this file quite diligently, uh, and, and we hope to have more to say. We can't solve every problem, but we know that we play a part, and, and we know that it's in the best interest of our country and in our safety 
but also in our prosperity to be able to provide uh, Canadians with the tools that enable them to succeed. And that includes the little people trying to make sense of this incredibly uh, unbelievable uh, reality they find themselves in, but it also includes ensuring that people are able to get back to work, telework, right? Get, have have the opportunities mm-hmm. uh, and, and the means they need to succeed in this new world of work. Your approach is, and you bring up a, a good point that it's not just a rural issue, access to internet. And there's certainly um, many households in urban areas for various reasons that don't have access to internet. And uh, I know that also getting back to to a earlier point of yours, that when we see issues as rural versus urban um, and that we have nothing in common, it's really not productive. Uh, there's so many issues in rural communities um, that have to do with you know, issues of vulnerability um, that are also experienced in other places in Canada. And certainly I like to, to emphasize the interdependency between rural and urban, that we need each other and we're all part of the important fabric of Canada. Well, if, if COVID has, has done anything, it's highlighted the reality of just how interdependent we really mm-hmm. are, right? If one part of Canada's hurting, we all feel that pain. And it's also highlighted the very human need to stay connected. Um, you know, where I, I love politics. Uh, I feel so privileged to, to live in a country where somebody like me could even put their name on a ballot. I also have to acknowledge that there are times when that rural-urban divide, however small or large it is, is played upon and preyed upon by those who seek to gain political partisan advantage from it. And I think that is such a dangerous game at a time when people are feeling vulnerable and unsure and anxious. Leaders is about being able to bring Canadians together. And as you said, you know, if, if a, a household in rural Canada has access to high-speed internet, well, it's more likely to be able to shop online for products and services that are benefiting those in uh, urban Canada. Food security, for a while, I mean, talk to grocery stores or just reflect on your own experience food security in this great country with such a superpower as far as agriculture goes uh, you know the the dependence we all have on the success of rural Canadians has become even more apparent and I really hope that one of the outcomes of COVID is just more kindness and more compassion and a greater recognition like you said Sarah that we are all in this together that we are all <laughs> We will rise and fall together, but this beautiful country does best when we are united and looking to see each other succeed as opposed to a race to the bottom. Absolutely. And some of, certainly in Ontario, the the rural urban um, dichotomies or tensions were flaring up with uh, what we're calling the rural escape um, topic, where people wanted to go to their cottages, especially at the beginning when um, there were so many unknowns and rural communities really just couldn't um, be able to handle um, COVID if it did come to town. And focus with a lot of the work that I was doing was just on caring and creating caring um, 
communities. And if you do have a cottage and you are a cottager and you're part of these communities to care for that community and caring at that time was certainly you know, not going. And uh, I think that that's, that's an important thing to focus on. I, I'm in Peterborough as a member of parliament <laughs> for Peterborough Court. I host a weekly kind of huddle with all the elected leaders, business leaders, uh, social sector leaders. And early on, the townships uh, surrounding the city of Peterborough, uh, you know, those mayors were rightfully really nervous about the, you know, the the natural uh, instinct to okay I'm gonna go to my beautiful cottage on Stony Lake or wherever your cottage is but these tiny communities have tiny healthcare systems and tiny grocery stores that are not set up for the kind of uh, demands that COVID could bring with it and and people were rightfully nervous and I just you know as a Canadian I'm I'm really proud of the way we've come together in shared sacrifice for one another we've we've all sacrificed a lot some more than others to make sure that those on the front lines of COVID that their work is not for naught and that those who are most susceptible to to getting COVID and, and succumbing to it, that we protect them. And so th- that's that's been a beautiful uh, outcome of COVID, our ability to come together as difficult as it is to give up things and people that matter to us so that the whole can be stronger and healthier. That That's a pretty beautiful uh, Canadian story. Okay, so the Prime Minister has said that he would like to see the post-pandemic economy to be greener. How does the Government of Canada plan on supporting rural Canadians in shifting to a more sustainable economic output? The issue of our time. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's hard to believe that it was just seven, eight months ago, but there was an election in fall of 2019 and young people took to the streets and said, we are anxious and we are fearful and we demand greater attention on protecting the environment and fighting climate change. And, you know, rural uh, residents and rural business leaders. Uh, Think about farmers. They are on the front lines of the impacts of climate change. There was a year, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a, there was a drought and farmers in my riding and in the region surrounding were, you know, seriously considering buying water or, Mm -hmm. or selling off their livestock. And so rural Canadians experience climate change, but the, the responses that we've also put in place have taken into account the differences in realities between rural and urban Canada. Rural Canada doesn't really have access to public transit the way that we do in city centres. Rural Canadians, uh, highly resource-dependent economies, uh, less diversified than, than urban centres, the transition has to take into account those realities. And so when pricing pollution came up, there was a, a consideration and an exemption for rural Canadians because of that. Uh, and uh, the, the next steps in recovering from covid in building back better uh, includes making smart investments that help us meet our climate goals, but also help people uh, who have fewer resources available to them be brought along. Uh, and so 
climate change isn't just about pricing pollution either. It's not just about technology uh, either. It also includes being resilient and being able to adapt to floods or other natural disasters where, you know, in, in rural Canada, they own much of their infrastructure and those dollars are helping to build stronger communities to withstand the the impacts of natural disasters, for example. So our infrastructure investments uh, are going to be a big part of that. Uh, Catherine McKenna, having been our climate uh, minister in the past, is particularly mindful of this and recognizes that for rural Canada to help move into a greener economy, different strategies and different responses need to be put in place than in urban Canada. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the, we're all in the middle of COVID response and, you know, everything else has kind of moved to the periphery. But we were fortunate this year that we didn't see the same kind of flooding, for example, that we've seen in the past. Uh, climate change is here; is here to stay, and you know we have an opportunity to to mitigate it, but also build a stronger economy that that you know doesn't bring rural Canada in as an afterthought, but is very much centered around rural as well as urban realities. And it's going to be hard work. And as I said, there are places and moments where where uh, things that shouldn't become partisan or political become so. But, you know, the world is moving this way and Canada is very well poised in all its glory to lead the world in that transition and to create some really good, high-paying jobs in the process in, in across the country. Absolutely. Um, we talk a lot about policy studies, the need for place-based policy. You know, applying that real lens really does help um, you mentioned resilience, and I think that's a really um, important concept to maybe end on today, is uh, the whole point of resilience is when there's a disturbance that you're able to evolve and adapt and make the right decisions to come back from that disturbance even stronger and ready for the next disturbance and ready to be resilient from the, um, to whatever is to come. So I think that COVID has really highlighted some of those vulnerabilities. Is, is there any rural-specific um, topics that we haven't covered today that you'd like to cover? You know, on the topic of resilience, the opposite of resilience is vulnerability, right? Um, mm. And as you said, disruptions are going to come. They seem mm -hmm. to be coming at a faster rate than, than our parents and grandparents were used to. And there's so much we can't control. But what we can control is investing in people and investing in communities and trusting Canadians to be able to respond creatively and with strength to, to challenges. And they have. Um, you know, Bill Morneau was talking about resilience at our first cabinet retreat. He said the goal of the Canada Child Benefit, the goal of investing in our infrastructure, what, whatever it is, things will come at us and these investments will re lead to resilience. Uh, and, and, you know, looking, looking forward from that cabinet uh, retreat, uh, which is really a series of like never ending meetings, two and a half <laughs> days in a row, but things get done. So that's good. Um, you know, there are a million Canadians who had a place to call home an affordable, safe place to call home. They could self-isolate in that home when COVID hit because we invested 
in that kind of investment. The Canada Child Benefit was able to get money to parents at a really difficult time monthly without too much hassle uh, to help respond to the ever-changing needs. So, you know, things that we put in place that build resilience are working and, you know, we're going to keep enhancing those systems because we're going to need to rely on them more. An issue that affects all of us uh, that adds greater vulnerability, whether it's to our economy or to safety, our communities. And it comes up interestingly for me, you know, I'm both the Minister for Women and Gender Equality and for Rural Economic Development. And mm-hmm. at first glance, you know, there isn't instinctively parallels between the two. Mm. But if, you know, take into account, and I'm going to talk about gender-based violence, so a trigger warning here. Mm -hmm. Um, Pre-COVID, every six days in Canada, a woman was killed by her intimate partner. One in three women experienced sexual assaults. The missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls uh, tragedy persists. And, uh, you know, every time these uh, cases of violence happen, if there's a child in the room or in the house they're scarred for life and so are families like it takes a long time if ever to recover in rural Canada during COVID what we saw was opposite of what we'd seen in most of urban Canada in urban Canada the calls for help went up Mm -hmm. Uh, for women and children fleeing violence and abuse. In rural Canada, our partners told us that things are eerily quiet. The Mm -hmm. isolation that comes with living in rural Canada, the lack of access to services, the lack of access to internet to know what's open and what's closed, the fact that, you know, the most violent person in, in those women's lives in those children's lives was at home 24-7, that has led to a reduced call for supports from women needing help in rural Canada. And, you know, if you're listening to this and and you do need help, I want to assure you that there are at least a thousand organizations across the country who can help you who will take care of you if you've got kids. Their their buildings are clean and they have PPEs and they're going to help you get your, uh, you know, put back into into focus what's important to you and piece back what's broken. I, you know, if there's one, one thing I want to leave your listeners with is if you're mm-hmm. living with violence, you don't have to. There are people who can help you especially if you're living in rural Canada and don't know who's out there, you know, call somebody you trust and they can connect you with the services available. And this is going to be a big, big roadblock for Canada. If we come out of this, as Patty Heidi says, with a generation of broken kids and broken women, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a really hard challenge to respond to and it can be prevented. So if you know somebody who's, who's vulnerable to check in on them, Uh, you know, ask them if they, if, if, you know, ask them close-ended questions, like, are you okay? Do you need help? Do you want me to call the police? Uh, Because sometimes it takes one, caring person to do that and I realize that this is about rural economic recovery but women are going to be a big part of that recovery and so will their their children and their grandchildren and not all of them are safe right now absolutely and um, as you know the organization that I'm president of the Canadian Rural Revitalization Foundation we've um, launched some insight papers on specifically rural insights 
uh, during COVID-19. And one of the papers that just was released last week was on gender-based violence in rural. And um, yeah, even with the messaging in terms of, you know, stay home, uh, we know that colleagues were uh, were asking for people to, to, with that messaging, have a caveat of stay home unless you are not safe. Yeah. <laughs> in that case, please go here, here, and here. Um, yes, it's, there's lots of rural specific challenges, even, you know, the common um, calling for a pizza if you're in trouble um, approach in rural areas often doesn't work because you wouldn't be calling for a pizza because there's no pizza delivery in many rural and remote places. So um, yes, many definitely is a rural issue and has rural dynamics to it. So I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. So Thank you so much, Minister Monsa, for taking the time to talk with me today. It has been wonderful to explore rural issues and to have rural as part of the conversation as we talk about recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you so much, Sarah. And please keep it up. I'm very much enjoying this podcast. So, so <laughs> you know, five stars for sure. If you want to re-listen to any of the other Recovery Project conversations, you'll be able to find them in podcast form wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Stay safe.